This is a GRDC podcast. When it comes to calculating fertiliser toxicity risks in the paddock, the tools and resources available to growers haven't really changed over the past 70 years. It's a bit of a crazy thought when you consider all the advancements in fertiliser chemistries, application methods, and indeed farming systems over this time, but exciting new research made possible through GRDC investment is modernising our understanding and approach to this important industry issue. I'm Hilary Sims, and for this GRDC podcast, I'm joined by the researcher leading this change, Jacinta Dockerell. Jacinta is a PhD candidate at the University of Adelaide, and she recently finished two interesting fertiliser toxicity experiments as part of her honours thesis. Here's Jacinta. Toxicity is so dependent on so many different factors that it would it would be near impossible to recommend a rate where you're going to see no toxicity and 100% you know crop growth. So I think what would, we would love to be able to develop is those threshold values and say, look, we know for sure that if you exceed this rate with your soil type or the amount of rain you're predicted to have this year, you're going to see some crop production loss. You're going to see some exhibited toxicity. And I think in, in a lot of cases, at least that would give growers the assurance that they're definitely going to reduce the crop production loss. It may not be a complete reduction, but it gives them a bit of a safety threshold. This threshold-based approach is what Jacinta's research is working towards. At the moment, she reckons most growers just know their own growing situation and make their fertiliser decisions based on experience. Other than that, there's really only one tool available, the SALT index. So the SALT index was originally developed in 1942 and 1943. So the first papers were published in the 1940s. What it does is it ranks fertilisers in relation to sodium nitrate um, because sodium nitrate was a readily available nitrogen fertiliser at the time of the SALT index's inception in the mid-20th century. So, you know, we're talking quite a long time ago. And it's so unusual because so many other parts of our industry are um, changing all the time. You know, they're, they're constantly trying to breed better species, better um, genotypes of different crops and, you know, working on different nutrients. And it's just so strange that nothing has really happened um, between now and then. I mean, people have critiqued the salt index and they have, you know, people have known for a while that it's not a very accurate method. But um, I think it's been really difficult um, to, to try and come up with a new way of doing it because there are so many factors involved in fertiliser toxicity that make it really hard to predict what's going to happen. And what do you see as the limitations or the difficulties of using this index in its current form given its age? I think the difficulty with using the salt index is that it really focuses obviously on salt toxicity. It doesn't focus on um, whole product toxicity. So if we're talking about fertiliser toxicity, you know, not every fertiliser induces salt stress. Not every fertiliser adds salt compounds to the soil. And I think if we're talking about fertiliser toxicity in production of crops, then we'd want to be able to predict all forms of toxicity. So be able to, um, be able to predict all methods, all mechanisms that induce toxicity, whether solely or in combination. So there are some fertilisers where, yeah, sure, salt toxicity may be the primary cause, but there are also others where there is no salt toxicity or little to salt toxicity exhibited. So we're really hoping to, to kind of bring it into the modern times and, and find something that is an improvement that um, really helps growers to, to not feel like everything's always so difficult and to provide some more accurate information. You know, it's, 
it's really hard to be ambiguous and say, oh, we'll rank these and you pick the safest one for you. But it would be really good to be able to, to give some more specific information and take some of the ambiguity out of the equation. And this leads really nicely into the two research trials you've done. Uh, tell me more about the first one, the ecotoxicological experiment. So we developed what's probably a bit of an unusual approach in plant studies, but essentially what we do is um, test a number of different fertilisers at a number of different rates or concentrations and then um, have a look at when the, uh, the toxicity occurs, so what concentration is inducing a certain percentage of um, crop production loss or um, plant death or just reduction of seedling emergence, um, which has been really beneficial because we've been able to look at a direct response of a plant rather than using a laboratory measurement or something like that. So what was the process? How many different fertilisers did you use? So we used 12 different fertilisers, including things like urea and superphosphates, MAP, DAP, um, sulfate of ammonia, etc. And we also included one organic fertiliser just to see if there was any uh, differences in, in organic toxicity. We did choose a, a commercial product for that, Dynamic Lifter, which is a pelletised chicken litter, um, just because it is homogenised and treated. So we were going to get, a, um, I guess what you say, an accurate and consistent value. Um, so what we did was we, we used two different soils for this particular study. I think it was a sandy loam from um, Manata up in the Adelaide Hills to simulate our alkaline soil. And then we used a, um, an acidic soil from the Barossa from uh, Kapanda to, to simulate a low pH scenario. So then we have these 12 fertilisers, two different soils, and then we do 10 different rates of fertiliser application. Um, which is mixed through the soil as a um, as a homogenous mix rather than, you know, uh, broadcast on the surface. What was the crop type? We used canola as our chosen crop for all of the experiments in this study because they're quite a small seed canola and um, they're very susceptible to toxicity when they are young plants. Um, when they mature and are, um, you know, fully emerged, fully grown plants, they tend to be quite tolerant. But I think it's really important to note that a lot of crops are quite susceptible as young plants, even if they are quite tolerant as older plants. So uh, the seedlings, seeds were grown for two weeks in a controlled environment room. So they have the same day and nighttime temperatures, the same humidity, the same light exposure. And then we harvested the dry matter to see what, what was the difference in growth between all of those fertiliser application rates. And you ended up with a table that compared the plant responses to these different fertiliser and soil combinations. How did these results compare with the salt index measurements? What were your main observations there? We found that there's a few fertilisers in particular that have a very different toxicity response than what the salt index would predict. So um, the salt index, for instance, says that urea is less toxic than sodium nitrate with a salt index of 75, whereas um, sodium nitrate obviously has a salt index of 100. So it basically says that, that urea should be less toxic than sodium nitrate, but in particular we found that urea was actually our most toxic fertiliser in this instance, in this study. Right, well, what about the other fertilisers? Any interesting observations there? I think also one that was quite interesting was sulphate of ammonia. Um, that also had a, a larger response, a more toxic response than we would have expected based on the salt index. And in particular with urea and sulphate of ammonia, I think 
we attributed that particular response of both of those fertilizers to ammonia toxicity, which anyone, any farmer that uses um, the particular types of N and nitrogen fertilizer will know that um, ammonia toxicity is a risk. Um, it, it can be really damaging to, to seeds in particular and small plants. And we found that with both of those treatments, um, the toxic response was, was quite large and um, definitely reduced production of canola quite readily. I guess the main point to stress is, yeah, it's not necessarily that, that we were trying to identify the more or less toxic fertilisers. It's to do with the methodology. We want to just make sure that, that we can develop um, some guidelines and some advice that is based on a real plant response and not on uh, a measure of a single characteristic or a single method of toxicity. I would never say that I have the complete knowledge of how farmers and growers like to apply their fertiliser, but I know that there are a number of methods that farmers use to provide nutrients to crops, whether they provide the nutrient as a granule, as a solid fertiliser or as a fluid fertiliser, you know, whether they foliar spray or inject into soil. But we really wanted to focus on, in particular, banding of fertilisers. The second experiment Jacinta completed as part of her honours thesis focused on the impact fertiliser distance has on canola seed. She starts off by explaining why she chose to use banding fertilisers for this particular trial. So banding fertilisers often puts those fertilisers in close relation to seeds and seeds are quite susceptible to toxicity, especially um, as they start to germinate and roots start to grow. Um, The roots in particular have exhibited toxicity when concentrations in their kind of root zone get too high. So we designed an experiment to have a look um, to see if we could kind of simulate a a fertiliser ban and a seed row. So we developed a new type of experiment where we have a smaller pot, uh, a long narrow pot where we band fertiliser at one end of the pot and then have soil throughout the rest of it and we plant seeds all through the soil. So we're not planting directly in the fertiliser, although I think with some fertilisers you almost could. we're banding just through the soil and then we have the same growth conditions as our other experiments. So they're in a controlled environment room with the same temperatures and light exposure and things like that. And we let them grow for two weeks. And what we did was we actually measured um, the point at which the seedlings started to emerge in relation to fertiliser. So that band, that that um, point between where the fertiliser and soil meet And you included more soil types in this trial but kept the same 12 fertilisers from the first experiment. What were your main findings or results from this work? So we had three alkaline soils and three acidic soils. And what we generally found is that in most of um, the acidic soil treatments, all of the fertilisers had seedlings emerge at a greater distance from the fertiliser. So there was um, a toxic effect closer to the fertiliser and then further away with acidic soils. So in particular, again, urea was quite toxic. Um, It required almost 10 centimetres of distance between fertiliser and soil in some pots, whereas um, the dynamic lifter we used, which as our organic fertiliser and the single superphosphate, we even had some seedlings emerge while they grew in the soil, they emerged through the fertiliser in some cases. So it was quite interesting to see the differences. Um, but there was some general trends there that some of the nitrate fertilisers and the urea and the sulphate of ammonia required, you know, between kind of 7 and 10 centimetres from seed. 
Were there any other results that surprised you or were unexpected? Yeah, I didn't really predict that the urea treatments would be quite so toxic. Um, I know that urea is really widely used um, by growers because it is such a readily available source of nitrogen. Um, So that that was quite interesting. It it even blackened the soil in some of the treatments um, as a result of the the ammonia volatilisation. But I think it would be fair to say that that none of the responses was unexpected, as in we kind of had an idea of what the general um, toxicity of each product would be. It was more just the fact that they were so much more toxic than what um, the, the salt index would lead you to believe, I suppose. So if a farmer was to actually use the salt index um, as their decision-making tool for what type of nutrient to apply, they may not necessarily get the response that they expected. So if they're thinking they're picking a safer form of fertiliser and then finding that that further on in the growth period they're, they're seeing this toxicity, it's probably because the salt index can't accurately tell them what degree of toxicity is going to occur. For Jacinta, these two experiments were the start of something much bigger. She's already moving on and expanding the scale of the research through her PhD. We're hoping for my PhD to be able to expand it to include not just single nutrient fertilisers, but looking at co-granulated products, um, blended fertilisers and micronutrients as well as macronutrients, because obviously that tends to be um, the trend these days is to to have a look at whole plant need um, of every nutrient that they require. We're also hoping to expand um, with some of the variables that can affect fertiliser toxicity. So obviously soil pH can have a big effect on fertiliser toxicity and water availability, um, but also crop species. You know, there are some crops that that are far less susceptible to, to toxicity, maybe because they have a larger seed or just have those mechanisms that they've developed to be able to combat things like salt toxicity or iron stress. So once I've done two years of work, um, there is the opportunity to do some other experimentation if it's required um, to refine that. But we're hoping to provide um, just that information in a really um, consumable way. So whether it is by a um, a fact sheet given out to farmers or maybe um, something online where they can um, have access to those resources. Well, it it sure sounds like you're going to be very busy over the next few years. And I'm curious to know, as you've progressed through this research and really delved into the topic, has more and more avenues for research popped up? Yeah, at first I was quite, um, I was quite intimidated. I was like, oh, this thing, like it's, you know, it's, it's the gold standard. It's, it is the way of talking about fertilizer toxicity. And then once we started down the rabbit hole, you know, there's so many different things we could do and, and where do you, where do you pull it in to be able to make it an actual, um, you know, a doable project? Because we could look at every fertilizer that's ever been made and we could, you know, we could look at hundreds of different soils and different crops and things like that. Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, you could probably spend your whole career looking at something like fertiliser toxicity. It would be endless. It would be absolutely endless. But obviously for the for the purposes of this project, we had to kind of rein it in and really try and focus on, you know, what's the next step? Obviously we've got this, this system that exists, but what can we do in the near future to improve it to a point where, you know, we can confidently say we've made it better? So we're coming to the end, but just to summarise the conversation 
what would you like growers to take out of your research? What would you like them to know? I would like growers to know that we are working on it. We're trying to think of a way where we can not necessarily try and find out the cause of toxicity, but look at the response and go, okay, well, um, we're, we're trying to be able to predict a response from any mechanism of toxicity. So whether that is salt in addition to a particular iron or a particular chemical or a particular growth condition that's exacerbating toxicity. But we might also find that certain fertilisers when used in conjunction may not have as great a toxic effect as when they're used um, solely on their own. It would be really nice to be able to provide growers with some some more information because I know that they, they sh- you know, they can struggle with so much and it's so difficult to predict what's going to happen in the season and it's so variable and so much of it is out of their hands. But if we can just make things a little bit easier, I think that would be worth it. That was Jacinta Dockerell from the University of Adelaide speaking about her research findings on fertiliser toxicity. More information about this topic can be found in the description box of this podcast or online at grdc.com.au. I'm Hilary Sims. Thanks for listening.